he said that he wanted to try this thing called the autoimmune protocol before they opted for surgery and medication. And she said, okay, I'll give you three more months and you can try this. And then when you come back, if you're still in this shape, we really have to consider these options. And he was like, okay. So he went and worked on the autoimmune protocol and he came back and she repeated testing and colonoscopy and he was in remission. And she was so shocked and so impressed with the healing that he had done that she was like, wait a minute, what was this protocol? And he was like, well, it's the autoimmune protocol. And I learned about it from this website and it was our website. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. As you may know, there has been a stark rise in autoimmune disorders over the past 50 years, from type 1 diabetes and multiple sclerosis to Hajimoto's and asthma. Even endometriosis is falling under the autoimmune category. Now, the first step towards a cure is understanding the root causes and fixing those issues so that the immune system stops building antibodies that target our body. And today, my amazing guest, Angie Alt, and I are going to be discussing the first step to reversing an autoimmune disease and how to set the foundation for significantly reducing autoimmune symptoms and even possibly putting the disease into remission. So here's the deal. Your immune system is your security detail. It is hardwired to differentiate between what belongs in your body and what doesn't. And when it spies a meddler, such as a virus, bacterium, or parasite, it shoots to kill. Unfortunately, the system is not perfect. Sometimes it targets healthy tissues, a situation that, if persists under certain circumstances, can lead to an autoimmune disease or autoimmunity. Auto means self. So autoimmunity basically means your immune system is taking aim at itself. Now, more than 50 million Americans, and this is just in America, that's not the rest of the world, are suffering from autoimmunity, which is 20% of the population. And it's estimated that women make up 75%, around 30 to 35 million, which makes it the third most common category of illness in the U.S. after cancer and heart disease. Yet 90% of Americans cannot typically name an autoimmune disease. Some of the most common autoimmune diseases include rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, lupus, Hajimoto's thyroiditis, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease, which also includes Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, celiac disease, and asthma. So where do we start? What is the foundation? Well, it's food. Angie and I are recommending the autoimmune protocol. When I got diagnosed with Haji's last summer, I immediately started on the autoimmune protocol and the results were transformational. Most of the time, my husband and I adhere to this way of eating and currently, after my recent trip to Italy, because you know I ate pasta and you know I ate cheese and you know I ate gelato, we are back on the autoimmune protocol until October. Now, I feel my best when I am on this protocol, and I am able to put my Hajimoto's into remission, which is the biggest win. I mean, I almost don't have words, and I almost actually forgot words that moment because my health, our health, your health 
is everything. It's the biggest win. Now, I recommend sticking to the diet for a minimum of 30 days to give your body a chance to begin calming the autoimmune response, healing the gut lining, reducing inflammation, and repairing damaged tissues that were the subject to the autoimmune target. I also generally recommend extending the reset to a minimum of 60 days for people with severe autoimmune conditions that affect neurological function or cause symptoms that have a noticeable impact on daily life. I found that most people see enough improvement within the first 30 to 60 days that they're able to extend it without any issues at all for themselves. Now, it's important to acknowledge that the autoimmune paleo protocol is not a cure and it may not be enough to put a disease into full remission or heal damaged tissues. And we're going to be talking a lot about those nuances here inside of this episode with Angie Alt. But with that said, if you can remove the foods and toxins that are contributing to the autoimmune response and provide adequate nutrients to fuel the healing process, you can significantly reduce symptoms and even possibly put the disease into remission. Now, I will say that further support such as medication or targeted supplementation may be necessary to maintain the body's optimal functioning. That is the case for me. I am still on thyroid medications, although very low dosage, and I take a gang of supplements, which you guys had just heard when I interviewed Gretchen Litiker on episode number 113. We actually broke down a lot of what we were taking in that episode, and to be honest with you, I take a lot more than that. So I just wanted to to clear the air and note that this is about foundations and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Now, if you're finding yourself with more questions than answers at this point, don't worry. We've got you covered. Angie is going to break down everything for you and I'm so excited about the research that she's embarking on with the autoimmune protocol as we speak. Now, before we jump into this powerful interview with Angie, I just want to take a moment and celebrate your wins. Now, one particular healing rock star is Christina Tadlock, and I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on iTunes a couple of days ago. And Christina, you get bonus points, girls, because iTunes is where I love to read reviews. It is the gold standard, and it's really how we get this message out. So this is what Christina had to say. Dr. Marisa, I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and they are always packed with so much information and such wonderful people who are bringing messages we need to hear to help us heal. Listening to you pushed me to finally see a functional medical practitioner about getting some results and start healing my gastroparesis. We just started, but already I'm beginning to see results. This episode is near and dear to my heart because my aunt has MS and my very close friend was just diagnosed. I've shared my love of oils with them, but I love this perspective and shared this podcast as well. I love your new book and I've made your Superwoman blend and I wear it every day. I feel like I know you since I listen to you so often. Thank you for all that you do and being a part of my life and my healing journey. I look forward to the next podcast. Well, Christina... You are a girl after my own heart. 
Thank you so much for sharing your big win about finding your functional practitioner to support your healing journey. I know that gastroparesis is not easy, and I'm so grateful that you're already beginning to feel the healing taking place for you. Now, I am holding space for your continued healing miracles. If you are listening, Christina, I would love to gift you my Superwoman blend. Since you wear it every single day, just like me, all you got to do is reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and girl, we'll get you taken care of. Now, if you guys are wondering what episode Christina was talking about, I have just recently interviewed Dr. Terry Walls who had reversed her multiple sclerosis, which was episode 110. And it's a very powerful, amazing episode. It goes so beautifully with this episode because guess what? Dr. Terry Walls is also touting the autoimmune protocol. That is how she was able to reverse her multiple sclerosis, although she is always tweaking and modifying. But at the end of the day, that was the foundation for her as well. So I just wanted to make sure that I laid the groundwork for that if you're wondering what episode was Christina talking about? Now, this podcast is all about empowerment. And if it has helped you in any way, I would love to shout you out. You can reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook or simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you plug into. That way, I can continue to support more women, including yourself, who are ready to become the CEO of their health. Well, let's dive into this incredible conversation with Angie, but first I want to sing her amazing praises. Angie is a nutritional therapy consultant, certified health coach, and the author of The Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook and co-author of The Immune Wellness Handbook. She is also the creator and director of Sad to AIP in Six the SAS Phase 2, and Living Well Collective, a series of online group health coaching programs that have helped thousands of people on their path to wellness by teaching them how to transition their diets and lifestyle to an autoimmune protocol. Additionally, which you're going to be hearing about today, Angie partners with doctors to conduct medical research. In 2017, results were published from her first study to show the efficacy of the autoimmune protocol for inflammatory bowel disease, and the 2019 results came out for her efficacy for the autoimmune protocol for Hajimoto's thyroiditis. So incredible. Now, Angie has partnered with Mickey Trescott, and they together run the Autoimmune Wellness website and the Autoimmune Wellness podcast. Let's welcome her onto the show. Welcome, Angie Alt, to the Essentially You podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for saying yes. I follow you on Instagram. I love all of the work that you're doing, and uh, this has been an area of focus for, for us on the podcast. Um, last year, last summer, I was diagnosed with Hajimoto's thyroiditis and really started digging into all of the research in books and came across you and as you know, you know, so often a lot of us are dealing with autoimmune conditions and don't even know we have it. And then once we get it or once we get diagnosed, we are sent down the pill route and we're never really getting to the root of what's going on or how to heal us. And when I saw your work and I saw that this is what you do, you heal people 
with an autoimmune condition in a very natural and authentic and beautiful way. I just had to have you on, girl. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) So I really would love for you to start with your story and how you not only went into becoming a nutritional therapy consultant, but also how you decided to focus on autoimmunity and creating these gorgeous, incredible protocols. As it is for most of us who work in some facet of the health and wellness arena, it started with my own struggle with disease. So I have three autoimmune conditions. I have lichen sclerosis, I have celiac disease, and I have endometriosis, which I always give the disclaimer that endometriosis has not been officially classified as an autoimmune disease, but it's kind of one of those diseases that's like a maybe, maybe not that's on the list. There's not enough research yet to confirm. I mean, I just did an episode, a personal solo episode on endometriosis and really giving all the reasons why we should be designating it as an autoimmune condition. Oh my gosh, you're a woman after my own heart. I, t- I totally agree. I think that we need to we need to call it what it is. I always um, tell my clients and audience, you know, if it quacks like a duck and having two other autoimmune diseases, um, endometriosis is suspiciously quacking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100. I, you know what, girl, after my own heart too. I'm so glad we're aligned. Yay. Yeah. 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 So, you know, my first diagnosis was lichen sclerosis and that happened a few months after the birth of my daughter when I was in my twenties. And I just didn't really know enough yet to really be a good advocate for myself. And I didn't really understand what the diagnosis meant. And importantly, my doctor didn't say this is an autoimmune disease. He just said, you know, you have the skin condition and use this steroid cream. And I didn't really understand yet that that could mean that there were more autoimmune diseases likely coming if I didn't intervene for myself at that point. And so I just kind of continued along and I started to have what I now know were the first kind of beginning signs of celiac disease. And eventually I went and saw my primary care provider at the time. And, you know, this was also back in the days when we still considered irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, to be kind of a mental issue and not a physical one. And I remember my primary care doctor said, oh, these symptoms you're having, you know, this is just IBS and like take some over-the-counter medications and don't worry about it. And mm. I kind of... How did that feel? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, missile. yes, it felt horrible. And I think most folks with autoimmune disease probably know this story, this way that this goes with the, with the dismissal and just trying so hard to get answers for yourself. So that was kind of what happened. I went along like that. And then my husband and I started trying to have a baby. My first daughter is from a previous relationship and I I had gotten married in the meantime and we were trying to have a baby. I was in my late twenties by that point and we experienced infertility. And a year into that process, we started trying to figure out what was underlying the infertility And again, we couldn't get any answers. And, you know, my husband was very intuitive at the time and he said, you know, could this mean that there's something more wrong with with her health when we were speaking with doctors after we did all this you know battery of testing and they they came back and said you know there was nothing definitive and they just said oh no you just need to start trying IVF and we weren't really comfortable with such an aggressive and expensive process and so we held off and a few years later i got diagnosed with endometriosis after some really severe emergency room visits and and difficulty there 
it turned out that I had an endometriosis that had impacted my appendix. And I was actually living with chronic appendicitis, which was horrifying. <laughs> yeah. But then I finally got the endometriosis diagnosis. And that really helped us understand a part of the infertility that I was experiencing. And my husband had been so right with his intuition that it meant there was something deeper with my health that needed to be looked at. And then just a few years following that, I had gotten progressively more ill. I was now in my early 30s and I was just experiencing a dizzying array of crazy symptoms. They seemed to be unrelated. Nobody could find an answer. I started having a lot of mental and emotional health problems because you know we need to be able to properly absorb nutrients in order to have healthy, stable mental and emotional health. And I was referred to a psychologist and the psychologist and I started talking about the possibility that I was going to admit myself for a short stay in a psychiatric facility because I was struggling so much and none of the doctors could seem to figure out a physical cause for things. Luckily, I also got a referral to a gastroenterologist at the same time and she decided to run some blood tests on me and I had just sky high gluten antibodies and she suspected celiac disease. And so she sent me for an endoscopy and the endoscopy results came back positive for celiac disease. And finally, we understood what the underlying issue was. And this was just literally days before making a decision to seek really you know, serious psychiatric care. And once I started to work on going gluten-free I started to feel a little bit better mentally and emotionally, and I started to see that connection. And then I discovered the autoimmune protocol, which in those days was just kind of like a few sentences in a book by Rob Wolf. <laughs> and Sarah Ballantyne, the paleo mom, had started to do a little bit more extensive research and put a little bit more guidance around the process. And I took those little bits of information and adopted AIP and within three days of adopting AIP, I never needed to take anti-anxiety medications again. It was like the intense mental and emotional strain I had been under just seemed to start melting away. By six weeks, my gluten antibodies had dropped by half. By six months, it was like I had a new body. And by one year, I changed everything about my life, including my career to help other people learn about AIP. Can you get to a point where doctors are like, you know, maybe psychiatric care is, is necessary when you literally have a massive fire in your gut? How long was that duration for you? The point from my first autoimmune diagnosis and my very first symptoms of celiac disease to diagnosis was 11 years. 11 years. I saw doctors on three continents and probably had 25 providers in that time. Oh my goodness. I, I am so happy and grateful that you decided that this was your purpose to go and, and do this work. I am so grateful. So let's talk about this protocol. Let's talk about, can you tell us more about the autoimmune protocol, which by the way, I am on at this moment, no surprise with Hajimoto's and it's almost fully in remission, but I know that there are so many people who can relate to your story or in the, or in the middle of your story right now, even today, right? And, and don't know where to turn, don't know where to go, don't even know where how to, how to start. So tell us a little bit about this journey and, and how you, you, cause you have made such big strides. I mean, you even have research articles being published right now on the efficacy of the autoimmune protocol. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I started AIP myself in May of 2012. So that's, I guess, about seven years now. At the time, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne was starting to really get in there and comb the literature and kind of try to refine um, the protocol as it stood. I'm not the inventor of AIP and neither is Sarah, but she really is the one who's done the research to get it to the point that it stands at today. So it's also known as autoimmune paleo or sometimes the paleo approach or AIP, and it's a science-based elimination and reintroduction diet and lifestyle protocol. So it focuses on repairing gut health, balancing hormones, and regulating the immune system. The dietary component includes removing food-driven sources of inflammation and restoring nutrient density. The foods we remove are all grains, all dairy, all legumes, which include peanuts and soy, all nuts and seeds, which include coffee and chocolate. I know everybody's getting really worried now. (laughs) All nightshades, which include eggplant, hot and sweet pepper, white potatoes and tomatoes, eggs, and alcohol. And then the nutrient-dense foods we add are things like organ meats, bone broth, fermented foods foods, lots of seafood, things like that. And then the lifestyle component includes approaches to sleep, stress management, movement, and connection, both connection to humans and nature, because all of these things together help you heal and help you best manage autoimmune disease. And it can be used alone or in a lot of cases in combination with conventional treatments, depending on a person's needs and their autoimmune diagnosis. And like you said, it's even the focus of medical research now, which I've been heading up. I think that's so incredible that we're we're making big strides here. I want to talk a little bit about the the two phases. First, elimination, because I have a feeling a lot of people after they're hearing that list, which my audience, that's not a surprise. We've heard this list before, very similar to it. However, it's always good to kind of ease our way into this. So we have a lot of people clearly eating a lot of these foods. How do we help people or how do people usually transition over to an API protocol? Most folks, I think, try to do a cold turkey transition to the autoimmune protocol. So that's I like, feel like so many people are black and white, right? They were all right. in or all out. <laughs> Right, right. It's kind of this like all or nothing kind of perfectionism mentality, you know, um, that kind of leads to that. I think cold turkey usually means like literally overnight you take on the protocol or maybe you take a really short period, maybe two or three days to prep yourself for it. That's like what cold turkey is. And I understand why people do it. And there are instances where it can really work and it's a good match for the, for the person. If you're very, very ill and your motivation to get well is very, very high, it can, it can really work. If you have certain factors in your life that are making it easy for you to go for it, you know, like let's say you have the budget to really, really focus on, on food and, and high quality food. You have the time to do a lot of food prep. You have a very, very supportive network around you, especially in your household. It can work. I'm one of those people. My business partner, Mickey Truscott, is one of those people. But I think the majority of folks are not there and it's not a good match for them. And one of the big reasons is because you get burned out before you can get results. It's really hard to sustain something like that so so immediately. And people make it maybe max a few weeks and they aren't able to sustain it. So then, of course, they don't see the results and, and understand how much it could help them. 
I really think that the best approach for adopting a protocol like AIP is a slow and steady method, which I pioneered that about six years ago with my group program, said to AIP in six. And this is where you would implement the autoimmune protocol in phases, taking out maybe one or two food groups at a time over a period of weeks to even up to months, you know, depending on your level of readiness for it, how handy you are in the kitchen, you know, those kinds of things. And doing it in this way is usually not only great for like practical sustainability, but also like the emotional process. You know, for a lot of us, some of these foods are really hard to let go of, even if it's only meant to be for a short period. And I think having it be more sustainable works reliably for the majority of people. Hmm. I, I love that you have a way of transitioning people in. And when we're talking about transition, are there certain foods that we should just remove out the gate that, that kind of make that first list? I like to think about this as like bang for your buck, right? Yes. I love bang for your buck. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so like in my group program, we try to start with the foods that are most likely to, to really dampen symptoms really quickly and make folks feel a lot better right away. Because, you know, if you get early wins like that, that will help you have the motivation to keep going for some of the foods that are maybe a little bit harder to let go of or really work your way into the full protocol. So those would be grains, especially the gluten grains, alcohol, dairy, and sugar. Those four things, if you can work on them at the start, you'll really notice some big changes. I love it. So those are the big four that have got to go. And I had a feeling those were the big four, but I just want to, it's always nice to hear, you know, hear from someone else. That's usually my big four list, but you know, it's nice to hear you say it as well. And how, I know the next question that people are wondering is, you know, how long okay, I'm working on this. I'm tired of being sick and tired. I know I need to do something different. This feels like the right thing to do. But how long do I need to remain in the elimination phase of API before I get to move into reintroduction? And do I ever get to move into reintroduction? We do a, a program as well. I did most of the similar components. I don't call it API, but we remove all the same foods. And I can't tell you how many times I have people saying, you know, after this, when can I go back to eating Chick-fil-A? Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't think ever. I don't think, ever, I don't think you're going to want to go back to Chick-fil-A is really the, is the answer I give. I mean, that's so often what the question that we get is, when do I get to go back to this other life that I had? And can you give us some real truth around that? That's a totally legitimate feeling to have. I think most of us, even uh, people who would be considered quote unquote leaders in this autoimmune health and wellness movement, we had those thoughts in the beginning too. Like, when can I go back to the Taco Bell drive-thru? Um, but the, I think yeah. the... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think what the truth is, is that once you get into it and you experience those health wins, especially if you're like a lot of people with autoimmune disease who are like me and you're sick for a very long time, maybe even decades or more before you got answers and help, feeling well again is so worth it. I don't even care anymore. I haven't thought about Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A or pizza in years. I don't even think about it anymore. So hang on for, for that, that win. But the minimum that you stay in the full elimination phase with all those foods we named out is 30 days. That's the kind of minimum amount that you need to sort of clean the slate. 
and make it so that when you start the reintroduction process, it will be clear to you when a food works for you and when a food isn't a good match for you individually. The truth is that optimal, ideal is probably more like 60 to 90 days. I, I think most folks fall in that category where if they need a little bit more time, maybe two to three months to really see the, the best improvements, especially, you know, you, you're likely to fall into that category if you've had a more longstanding journey with autoimmune disease, or if you have a particularly aggressive autoimmune disease, you're, you're likely to need a little bit more time. If you get to 90 days and you didn't have the results you were expecting, you just really didn't have any or or very much improvement, that's a sign that there's some underlying issues that can't be addressed with just diet and lifestyle protocols alone. And you probably need to go work with your healthcare team and do some testing and troubleshoot and try to figure out what are those underlying things, get a diagnosis, and then start treatment so that you can see the benefits of diet and lifestyle and not kind of have that as an obstacle that's in the way. Occasionally, people need to go a little bit longer than that, maybe even up to one year. And that's usually because they are in that troubleshooting phase with their healthcare team and they're just trying to kind of limit variables so that they can get some health wins. I agree. Yeah. Don't just get to 90 days and diet harder. That's what I tell people. Don't don't decide, okay, well, all of these restrictions didn't work. So let me restrict my diet even more. You'll get into a space that isn't great for you nutritionally or psychologically. You know, it's it's better to to keep working on it. When I love the idea that this is kind of that solid base point, right? And if you aren't feeling 100% after 60 to 90 days, then even though you stay in this solid base point, this is really kind of where you need to be in terms nutritionally, but then let's start digging into what other root causes may be playing a role here. And you know what, that's very much all, you know, I think about with my diagnosis back in the summer, the first question we asked our, you know, me and my team was like, okay, what is, what's driving this? What's triggering this? And clearly nutrition was the first thing that we had to clear. You know, I was like, okay, foundationally, I'm going to be living here for a while, if not forever. I'm okay with always feeling great. I really wanted to get there. But then I also knew that there were probably other drivers involved. You know, I knew stress was involved. Maybe there was some type of gut parasite or gut issue, or maybe there was a viral, some type of hidden infection. And so, you know, we started unpeeling the layers and trying to figure out what else was driving this when we knew that the nutrition was solid underneath as a foundation. And so I'm sharing this as a way of encouraging people because I know that this journey, Angie, you can speak to this too. It, it can feel like a lot at times. Yeah. It can feel like a really lot to take on, but that's actually, I think, even more reason to give it at least 90 days, you know, give it very minimum 30. If you're not quite there, give yourself 30 more. If you're not quite there, give it one more, one more 30, you know, get to that 90 day point and then start to do the troubleshooting because frankly, what remains after that period of really concentrating on these diet and lifestyle measures is much more clear. And it will be so much easier for you and your team to evaluate what are the underlying layers. It will be so much easier to be targeted with testing and treatment because you've already handled this important base foundational stuff of nutrition and and lifestyle. Well, let's talk about reintroduction. And I know reintroduction is probably very different and varies for everyone in its their own way, but how does reintroduction work and what foods are even on the table for reintroduction? 
Reintroduction is really important. I think people hear about the autoimmune protocol, they hear about AIP, they hear about the elimination phase, and they think, oh my gosh, that's really hard. But then they forget that the whole point is to get to the point where you start to work on reintroduction. It is really important to work on that personalization piece, kind of like designing the diet that's best for you as an individual. It's really important from a nutrient density standpoint. You know, your audience probably realized some of the foods that I listed that are out are actually really valuable nutrient dense foods. And if you can bring them back into your diet, they could be great for you. And it's also like practically, socially, psychologically, it's easier if you can have a wider diet. The goal is always the least restrictive diet that still supports your individual best health. So during this process, you reintroduce foods from four stages. There's four stages of the reintroduction process. And it starts with the foods that are the most nutrient-dense foods, but they're the least likely to cause a reaction. And then it ends, you know, stage four foods are those that are most likely to not work, but most nutrient-dense. So you kind of go through this testing process where you try one food at a time, and you determine based on how your body reacts, whether or not that food really works well for you. Like for instance, in stage one, there's egg yolks and you might test them and see if they work for you. They're a really nutrient dense food. They're a nutrient dense food that can work for a lot of people. So you would start with foods like that. And then like in stage two, you have foods like grains, non-gluten grains. Now, there are some foods that aren't included in the reintroduction process. And that's because for most of us, those foods will probably, especially those of us with autoimmune disease, those foods will probably never really benefit your health. So for instance, we don't encourage the reintroduction of gluten-containing grains at all for anyone with autoimmune disease. I know everyone's wondering, when do we get to reintroduce chocolate and coffee back in? Because, <laughs> well, is that like phase, phase 10? <laughs> yeah, your audience will be really happy to know that Sarah Valentine just recently reviewed the literature and revamped those stages. And she brought coffee on an occasional basis and some chocolate into stage one. And she did that because she ended up finding in the literature that there are some really compelling benefits to those foods as long as they're, you know, occasional, at least in the beginning. And now that's not to say that every individual is going to try to reintroduce coffee and chocolate at the beginning and have success with it. I have many, many friends who have autoimmune disease and have used AIP. And some of us have been successful with coffee and chocolate and some of us, it's not a good match for us. But in a way, even though that might be a letdown initially, in a way it's great because it, you're finding out information about what makes you feel best. It's absolutely true. It's really about figuring out what makes you feel best. And it just may be that those things, as heartbreaking as it may be, may not just make you feel great. I have a lot of friends who absolutely cannot drink coffee. I'm a, I'm a caffeine metabolizer and, and I gave up coffee for a long time. It's back in my life, but it was not for a long time. And it doesn't seem to move me one way or the other. Always my concern around coffee though is, is making sure that your coffee isn't mold, you know, moldy. I think that's a big reason why another reason why coffee it can be a concern. Here is the big million dollar question. I know this is the question that I get a lot. I just had Dr. Terry Walls on my show a couple weeks back talking about reversing her MS. And I know a lot of people want to know, can API cure an autoimmune disease? What I like to tell people is that we should be careful and kind of beware 
people using words like cure and remission, especially in the autoimmune community. Those words are so heavy and so weighted for people that are experiencing diseases that are chronic and lifelong. And triggering. And triggering. Exactly. Really triggering. Triggering. So I think we have to be really careful with words like that. It's important to understand the reality of how the immune system works in the autoimmune process. Your body has essentially accidentally learned how to make antibodies against your own body, you know, whether that's an organ or a particular tissue, your body is targeting itself. And this is amazing in some ways. Our body, our our immune systems are really amazing how they function. And once they learn how to create antibodies, they don't really unlearn that. No, they they can't really unlearn that. At least not that we know of. Yeah. Not that we're aware of at this point anyway, you know, maybe in the future that we'll discover how to do that in a way that we don't harm the the rest of the immune system and the good function of it. For instance, when we form antibodies to an outside, you know, pathogen that we don't want. But it's really misleading to say cure when you're talking about something your body can't really unlearn how to do. Instead, what I like to say about the autoimmune protocol is that it is a tool that can help you manage your autoimmune disease well, a well-managed autoimmune disease. You can live a full life despite autoimmune disease. You can experience little to no symptoms of your disease. You can be in a state where your disease isn't progressing and getting worse and worse, you know, and you have the tools to be able to basically ride the waves. If you experience a flare, you understand how to calm your body back down. That's what the autoimmune protocol can do. I would like to touch upon flares, right? Let's say we are, we're in a place where we're feeling really great. And I don't know, Angie, if this has happened with you at all, where you are in a great place, but maybe some type of life circumstance or something else comes into play. We know that a lot of, lot of different external factors can actually bring us into flare. Have you had to, maybe not just with yourself, but with someone that you're working with, manage a flare? Do we just go back to the basics of what we know? What are some of the things we should be looking out for or we can be doing if we do after, let's say, after we've we felt like we've been on quote unquote remission-like, you know, in terms of our body, we're feeling great, but then we kind of hit this next place. Right. Yeah. I mean, and obviously we know with autoimmune disease that can happen. You know, you can you can have done everything right and and be in a really great place and then experience some kind of setback that leads to a flare. And you, we can't perfectly control for those things in life. I always make the analogy that learning how to use the autoimmune protocol really well is kind of like sailing. So when everything's going great, you're at a relatively low stress point in your life, your nutrition's on point, you're feeling healthy and well, not a lot of disease activity. It's kind of like your sails are wide open and you're really catching the wind and you're really enjoying it. And you're probably eating your diet to the widest variety that you were able to come to with reintroduction. Now, let's say that you come across a very stressful event. Maybe you lose your job or your home is caught in some kind of weather-related issue. You know, you, you went through a hurricane or something. I, I had um, people in my group program a few years back um, who were all in Houston when the hurricane hit. And they went through a lot of stress going through that. And they couldn't control for that. And they a lot of them ended up experiencing really serious flares. So that's when 
using the autoimmune protocol is kind of like battening down the hatches. You know, you're going to bring that sail back in. You're going to go back to kind of a little bit more narrow space in terms of your diet, maybe, maybe even all the way back to the elimination phase, really, really focusing on those nutrient dense foods, being really careful with your stress management techniques and your sleep hygiene and, and all of that stuff to help your body either recover from flare or maybe if you're, if you're really experienced at it, you might even anticipate that this might happen and even prevent a flare. So for instance, I had to have surgery for endometriosis in 2016. And I had already been using the protocol for four years at that point. And I knew that surgery was really likely to lead to flare if I wasn't really careful. So I did lots of preparation ahead of surgery. And I spent some time like in the elimination phase of the autoimmune protocol, really focused on nutrient density and caring for myself and getting a lot of sleep post-surgery. And I had a very fast recovery from surgery, so much so that my doctors were shocked at how little pain medication I needed and how quickly I recovered with no scarring. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's setting yourself up for success and having these foundations that I think really, really change the game for us. And that commitment that you decided, you're like, you know what, I am going to prepare for this because I kind of can see multiple outcomes based on what I do. And the topic of endometriosis, you know, it's, it's a topic that a lot of my audience really wants to touch more on because it feels like such a mystery. And it feels like an area where they're not really getting answers that they, they, they deserve. So I'm just grateful that, you know, even just sharing these little stories about your endometriosis journey really lends hope to what's possible for so many women. And I totally understand that. I think um, if I were honest now, between all three diseases, by far and away, endometriosis has been the most destructive and, and the hardest emotionally to deal with. So I really understand all those women in your audience and how they're feeling with it. It's really hard to get accurate information and it's hard to know what to do to best care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get a diagnosis. And so often we normalize just painful menstrual cramps for decades. You know, I was, I just wanted to ask you how long it took you to get the official diagnosis and kind of get on that road to treatment for endometriosis. It's on average, I believe it's 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I started menstruating when I was 13. And by the time I was 15, it was already very disruptive to my life. I was in excruciating pain monthly, you know, things like passing out or vomiting in class. I mean, talk about a terrible position to be in in high school, like already hard enough as it is. And it just progressively got worse until the point that I was willing to start taking birth control basically continuously to try to avoid my periods. And that was what the doctors were telling me to do, not really willing to look deeper. And then I, because endometriosis currently can only be definitively diagnosed with a laparoscopic surgery, which is Mm -hmm. so invasive. It's extremely invasive. And people don't necessarily know that. I had a woman reaching out to me and she was like, do you think my doctor is going to be able to diagnose? I was like, well, just know if they haven't told you that a definitive, the only real definitive way to do that is through a liposcopic surgery. And, and she had no idea. Yes, no one has I know. It's so sad. And, you know, I know that there is a lot of women and groups out there that are really fighting for and pushing for research that will allow us to get to a point where we can make a diagnosis that's, you know, so much less invasive and hard on women. But yeah, I mean, I didn't get to that point and have that surgery until I was 30. So oh, 15 yeah. years. 15 years. 
15 years. Absolutely. Well, I want to take a moment and I want to celebrate the pioneering that you are doing. I would love to hear a little bit about some of the research studies that you have been doing on AIP and just talk to me about what you're working on at the moment or what you've been so excited to kind of uncover and to really bring to the forefront of medicine. In late, I guess it was late 2016, maybe December of 2016, a doctor, a gastroenterologist at Scripps University in San Diego. Just down the street from me. Yes. (laughs) Her name is Dr. Gori Kanajetti. She's an amazing lady. She had a patient who had, I can't remember if it was Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but he came in and he was in real bad shape. And I mean, you know, she had done colonoscopy and everything. She could see how bad it was. They'd done all the testing. And he said that he wanted to try this thing called the autoimmune protocol before they opted for surgery and medication. And she said, okay, I'll give you three more months and you can try this. And then when you come back, if you're still in this shape, we really have to consider these options. And he was like, okay. So he went and worked on the autoimmune protocol and he came back and she repeated testing and colonoscopy and he was in remission. And she was so shocked and so impressed with the healing that he had done that she was like, wait a minute, what was this protocol? And he was like, well, it's the autoimmune protocol. And I learned about it from this website and it was our website. And so she went and checked out our website and she learned about AIP and she got in contact with us and she said, I know that you have this existing group program teaching people how to do this. And I want to study this. I'm also a researcher. I'm very curious about this. And can we use your program as the model for our study? And of course, I was like, absolutely. What What else can I do for absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. Anything you need. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, absolutely. This is amazing. What a dream come true. I had known already for years that what we needed to do to kind of like get our foot in the door and show conventional medicine, what could happen. We needed research, but I just had no idea how to get there. So this was amazing lucky break. So she started working on funding and we started that study in 2017 and the results were published and we had 15 folks. It was is an efficacy study. So this is not a great big study, but it's the beginning. It's, it's the, the start. This is so often how studies begin. Yes. Yeah. This is how you start. You decide if it's worth going bigger and better, right? Because mm-hmm. so, bigger and better means more money. Yes. <laughs> Which is really hard to secure, especially with dietary studies. So we had 15 folks. They had an average disease duration of inflammatory bowel disease, so ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, both of them autoimmune diseases, of 19 years. So it's not like these folks were like brand new diagnosis. They had been really struggling for a long time. Some of them were already on biologic drugs trying to kind of suppress their immune systems. Some of them were not. And by week six in my program, they were 73% of them in clinical remission. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So this is like very mind blowing. Um, And when they started- also maybe not surprising, Angie, right? Well, no. So that's the really crazy thing. So I wasn't surprised at all. I had been doing this in my group program for a long time with all different kinds of disease, you know, autoimmune diagnoses. And I knew that it could really work. And it definitely makes sense when you're talking about a disease that affects the digestive system. So when Dr. Kanajetti got those results back in, she called me one afternoon and she was like, Angie, this is incredible. This is really like crazy. And I said, well, I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) 
you were like, yeah, not surprised. Yeah, I gave her a really bad time. But so that was great. And that opened the door. Our community, the autoimmune wellness community, they really were just so encouraged by this research. And we have a lot of success stories on our website. And there's a lot of success stories on social media in the community. And, you know, they were so happy to have confirmation of what they were experiencing. And they said, we want more research and we'll help you fund it. That is incredible. Yeah. So this last year, uh, 2018, we partnered with another doctor, um, Dr. Rob Abbott, and we decided to study Hashimoto's. Obviously, you're very familiar personally. Mm -hmm. And we took a group of 17 women and we did exactly the same model with my program again, but we studied Hashi's instead. And it was just really amazing. About half of the women in the study were able to decrease their medication. We really paid attention to their quality of life surveys and how they were feeling. I mean, these women came in in just such bad shape and really not enjoying their lives and not being able to enjoy their partners and their kids and their work life. And you know, all these aches and pains and just really struggling. You know, Hashis can be um, really widely varying in what people go through. I mean, emotionally, cognitively, energy. Yeah, the brain fog, the low energy, it just impacts so much. So really low quality of life scores and their quality of life scores just shot through the roof. Like these women improved so much and were so much happier. And one really exciting thing, you know, we started with 17 women, but we ended the study officially with 16 because one of the women who came in stated early on that she was struggling with infertility, which happens a lot with Hashis. And she really hoped that going through the process, she might restore her fertility. Well, by week nine of the study, she had to drop out because she was pregnant. That is amazing. Oh my goodness. And we did all of that by raising our own money. We did totally grassroots funding for that study. So we are repeating that model this year in September. I'm going to partner with a third researcher, Lucy Mayling at the University of Illinois, and we're going to do the same thing with eczema and psoriasis. Oh my goodness. And you know, so often people don't realize that eczema and psoriasis can be driven by autoimmune issues and can be cleared up by new, new lifestyle and nutritional changes. So I'm so excited that you're going to be having the study that launches in September. Doctors just slather steroids on people. That's what we do. So yeah, we're really excited. I really hope we're able to show some really great results just like we have with the first two studies. And you know, it's awesome that our community is willing to put their money where their mouth is and help us support this research. And yeah, it's exciting. And the, and you know, this is the start. These studies are small. You know, every study has limitations, but this shows that it's worth looking into and, and taking things further. I love it. You're going to share with us the program that you've got coming up in September. But before we do that really quickly, where else can we find? I know you mentioned the website already and it's autoimmunewellness.com. Is that correct? That's right. So I run autoimmunewellness.com with my partner, my business partner, Mickey Truscott. She and I have kind of been in this since the beginning together. You can find our podcast, our books, lots and lots of free recipes and information there. We would love to have you come check it out. There's a quick start guide that you can sign up for, really extensive with videos and downloads and stuff. 
and all of our social media there. You know, you can find my Instagram account, Mickey's Instagram account, our joint Instagram account, um, our Facebook accounts. You know, you can find all the ways to plug into the community and connect with us there. And then for folks who are interested in going through the program that I've been talking about that we used in these studies, that's SAD to AIP in six. You can find it at SAD to AIP.com. So S-A-D-T-O-A-I-P.com. If you go there now, you can join the wait list. In just a few weeks, we're going to open up enrollment in August. And then in September, we're going to start the final program for 2019. And we would love to have you. I've I've done this for, this is my sixth year and I've had thousands of people go through the program and we would love to have you. That is so wonderful. Well, you guys know how this works. We're going to have it all in the show notes, but we'll have the, the, the site up. We'll have all the websites here as well. If indeed you feel like, well, even if you don't know if you've got an autoimmune condition, but you just feel like something isn't right and you're not getting the answers that you're looking for, you're going through the doctor's. This is going to be, I think, from my personal feeling and my gut instinct tells me that this is a great place to start. Because, Angie, let's just say, you know, maybe it's not an autoimmune condition. Let's just say maybe someone's dealing with diabetes or they're dealing with cardiovascular or maybe something else. Even though this is very much an autoimmune protocol, could we say that this would also help a lot of other people dealing with inflammation in the body? Yes, for sure. As far as diabetes is concerned, I've worked with a lot of type 2 diabetics over the years, and quite honestly, they can reverse their diabetes. We have had folks go through the program that have other kinds of chronic illness, including cardiovascular issues. I mean, this is meant to focus on those with autoimmune disease and helping them better manage their diseases. But it's really just a great way to have good health no matter what any kind of chronic illness. You know, we have a lot of folks with Lyme who join the program. It's just a great way to get a really solid foundation in place. I absolutely 100% agree. Because I know sometimes people are like, well, this is technically just for those who are diagnosed with that. And, you know, we want to get so narrow. This is a great foundation for overall health, for resetting the gut, for supporting the liver, for cellular longevity, you know? And so I just wanted to just, you know, if, if this is something you guys are looking for, in any of those aspects. I think this is such a great foundation. Angie, thank you so much for coming on, not only breaking it down for us in such a simple and beautiful way, but sharing your brilliance. And I want you to know that I am so grateful to have you on and to get to share how you are championing and pioneering this research out there. Oh, thanks so much. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Talk soon. So it's pretty clear that I am absolutely in love with Angie's story, her mission, and her message. This is a woman who is on a mission and such a powerful and incredible mission it is. And I am so grateful for her immense support as she's provided me along with thousands of other people who have struggled with autoimmunity. I am so grateful that there are women and people, practitioners who are out there doing this beautiful work so that we can begin to heal our bodies. Now, I want to strongly encourage you to go check out her program, SAD to AIP in six. Right now, there's a waiting list, but she's going to be launching it in September, and I think it's a great opportunity if you are struggling with an autoimmune condition or you know someone who is to jump on board and check it out. If you want to learn more about the autoimmune protocol, I also want to encourage you to go and check out her website, 
autoimmunewellness.com. I know that we went in great detail about the protocol and a lot of the nuances, but I know how nice it is to be able to go to a site and learn more about it. And there's a lot of wonderful books out there as well. We cook with a lot of amazing autoimmune protocol cooking books out there. And we have a ton of them by Mickey Trescott and by Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who, by the way, will be on the podcast later on in the fall. She is going to be amazing to interview, and I cannot wait. Now, the links are going to be in the show notes for episode 115 or on my website at drmarisa.com slash podcast. Just pull up the episode 115, and voila, all the links are there. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to this podcast. On the next episode, we are talking about a topic that I get asked a lot about, and that is, is long-term fasting for women even a good idea? Well, my dear friend, Dr. Stephanie Estima has the answer and it may surprise you. So you're going to want to come back. Check us out. Dr. Stephanie Estima is going to be breaking down how intermittent fasting can serve women and what we should be mindful of. And I am so grateful for her because I personally do intermittent fasting myself. And with her guidance, I've been able to make sure that I support my hormones and get the results that I'm looking for. Until this next conversation, have an amazing day.